Good morning. Do you customarily stand for the reading of the scripture? Or should I have him sit? You can sit down. I feel such power here. As uh, was mentioned earlier this morning, my name is Mike Kelly. I uh, lead the Northwest Church Planting Network. I was a pastor in the Green Lake area of Seattle for 19 years. I'm still on staff at that church, but this is our full-time work now. My wife and I work together. She's um, back home, sent me down here solo, and I'll be here this week and, Lord willing, next week as well, and I'm very glad to be here. It's good to finally be in this room with uh, more of the community than I see a presbytery, so very good. We love the Costas. You should know that. We're encouraged by your work, and I'm glad to meet some of you in person. My hope today and next week is to explore two moments that Jesus had with his people in boats and uh, summer boating season maybe that's fitting we're going to look at uh, episode in the gospel of Luke chapter 5 if you're not familiar with the way the Bible's put together the Greek scriptures called the New Testament begin with four accounts of the life of Christ this is the third one in the Pew Bible our passage is on page 860 We'll take a look at this great account of Jesus um, as he takes over Peter's life. And, um, but first we'll pray, and then we'll hear from God's word. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that in your mercies you've taught us and spoken to us, that you have shown us how to live and shown us who your son was, who he is even now. And we bless you and ask you to teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, by the way, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats into land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I did not grow up as a Christian. But if you were to ask me about becoming a Christian, I would have to ask you if you meant the first time I did that or the second time I did that. 
Now, if you're exploring Christianity or if you are an expert in Christianity, either way, you know that that's the kind of thing that actually only happens one time. So I want you to know I'm in on that. But there are certainly waves, uh, a deepening, an awareness. There's work that God does in us that some famous theologians, including a man named Jonathan Edwards, said can be like unto a second conversion. We want to look today at a simple lesson You can hang around Jesus a lot and not really understand who he is. That no one really lives for Christ until they are broken. And no one is broken until they're broken in their boat. And that's what happens to Peter. So we're going to, here's a shocker. Preacher's going to break a passage into three parts. That's never happened, I'm sure. There will be no poem involved, though. We're going to We're going to see how Peter lived life around Jesus, or more appropriately, Jesus lived life around Peter. We're going to see how how Jesus moved in closer into Peter's world. And then finally, we're going to see how Jesus took over Peter's world. And I hope we'll draw some lessons about how we might live for God in that same way. So let's first look at Jesus hanging around the disciples. If you're not careful and attentive about reading the calling of the very first disciples, the apostles, it's sometimes easy to assume that there was an epiphany, a giant flash of lightning, and they went from knowing virtually nothing about Jesus to knowing that he was the Son of God and giving up everything and walking away. But a careful look at all the Gospels together teaches us something really important, that Jesus, in his humility and his patience and his tenderness and kindness, hung around these men for a long season of time, a pretty significant season of time. It could have been years that Jesus was just around them, being the Son of God in flesh and um, laboring at his craft and living in their community and attending their synagogue and otherwise engaging in daily life around these men. But even more substantially than that, it's clear if you look at the Gospels of Luke and the Gospel of Mark and others, that Peter had been exposed to some very significant acts and teachings of the Savior. In fact, in the synagogue in this town that he's close by, Jesus famously read from Isaiah and said, hey, guess what? Everything that the Bible said was about me, and here I am. And it caused a great stir, and they tried to kill him. And he walked through the crowd without being cast over a cliff. This would certainly have been big news in the community where Peter lived. Not only that, but if you look just back at the chapter before ours, you can see that Peter actually had Jesus in his home. And not only in his home, but he healed Peter's mother-in-law, who was deathly ill with the fever, and many, many others, and taught In the morning of that next day, Jesus got up early, as was his habit, and he went out into um, the desolate or lonely place to pray. Peter wakes up in his house. Peter looks out his door. Every demon-possessed and um, wounded person is there. They want more of Jesus. So Peter runs out and tries to get the Savior with a group of others. So what are we seeing? We're seeing that, that Peter knew something profound and significant was happening. He was very close to Christ. And in fact, he opened his home, searched for Christ. He was a supporter of early Christian ministry uh, of Jesus of Nazareth. He knew who he was. And so that leads us up um, to this scene. I want you to see the scene. 
Peter knows that there's a special man speaking. Jesus is a cause celeb in Galilee right now. I live in North Seattle, and if you're familiar with Dave Matthews, Dave Matthews lives you know, pretty close to us, and he's frequently seen, I've never seen him, but everyone I know has seen Dave Matthews, the folk rock guy, seen him around Green Lake. It's kind of not a big deal, actually, to see Dave Matthews around Green Lake. Is there so much? That's kind of what it was like for Jesus. Jesus lived there. He was one of the guys. They were familiar with him. So what's going on? There's a crowd surrounding Jesus. The language of our passage is very clear. They are pressing in on him in open space. They're right on top of him as we see this scene over and over again. We are told that Jesus is teaching the logos. He's teaching the word of God. Let's put the scene together. Peter knows who he is. He's been around for years. He's been ministering for months, probably. He's been healing and teaching. And now there's a crowd around him. This is what I want us to see. The humility and tenderness of Christ and the cluelessness of of even his supporters. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And what is Peter doing? Well, Peter and the others had gone out of their boats and they were washing their nets. Now, uh, I don't know a lot about fishing, although I wish I did. I, I understand this much, though. You fish all night, you got to clean your nets, right? I mean, it's not an unimportant activity. And certainly this message isn't um, uh, a shot across your bow telling you not to do a good job at work tomorrow. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, however, is that this was not a TED talk that Peter was missing. This was the Son of God in the flesh declaring the truths of the kingdom of God. And Peter was skim listening to him. Now, you're familiar with skim reading, right? Well, my wife accuses me of skim listening, where she's talking, and I'm kind of paying attention, but I'm looking at my phone, or I'm watching the game, and uh, I'm not really paying attention. One of the marks of uh, Jesus in his patience simply hanging around your life is that you are preoccupied. Now, this is not a concern of vocation. Again, uh, Peter's fixing his nets. That's important. I'm not telling you that your vocation, raising your family, uh, keeping your house in order, uh, finishing your tasks at work or running your business, it's not about vocation, it's about orientation. It's about the fact, as we'll find out later on, that Peter misunderstood the magnitude of the individual that he was so close to. Our problem is not that we have jobs, our problem is that we orient our lives around the wrong things around gifts and lesser things when they should be attentively compelled by the presence of Christ. But what is amazing about our Savior, what is amazing in his, and tender in his story with me is that even after he introduced himself to me as a young man in high school through a ministry called Young Life, even after all of that kindness, he still was fine hanging around me in, in an early version of the knucklehead Michael, for years, waiting for me to understand, to come to terms with the reality of who he really was. You know, if you're exploring Christianity, I would have you know that Jesus is coming to get you if he wants you, and he's going to invade your boat, as we'll see in just a minute. But he's also tender and patient and kind, and he'll 
He'll follow you around and sit in the corner and wait for you to be aware of just exactly who he is. And that should indeed endear you to him. So the question is, what are you preoccupied with? What are you distracted by? I had a a boss out of college once who was a Christian, and um, I think he thought that I was, uh, I don't know what he thought, but for some random reason, he brings me into his office and he sits me down and he says, Mike, I want you to know that the number one priority in my life is God. I thought, okay, that's good, Joe. Number two priority in my life is family, and the number three priority in my life is work. And I was thinking what he said next. My, my thoughts came out of his mouth. Of course, if you watched my life, you would think they were just the opposite. <laughs> now, Joe is a pretty good boss, actually, but he wasn't, he wasn't a man whose life was oriented around the compelling picture of Jesus. Jesus will live around you, but you'll never live for him till you understand who he is. And I would say this too, as patient as Jesus is to live around you, he's not satisfied to live around you. And that's the next thing that we're going to see in this passage. Jesus living around Peter becomes Jesus moving in on Peter. He'd been in his hometown, in his region, in his actually in his home. He'd been connected with Peter's mother-in-law and his family. And then what? happens now in this passage. You can sort of see the scene. Peter uh, is fishing or working on his nets. Jesus is surrounded by people. He's preaching, but he's also surveying the crowd and seeing who's there. And uh, he observes these boats and he sees, you know, the guys cleaning their nets and he's got his master plan together. And he does what? He goes right into Peter's life. He goes right into the center of all of Peter's competency. He moves in in an effort to do what Jesus will do if you follow him or if you're thinking about following him. Jesus has a master plan to take over your life. He does. Every little part of it. Especially the most precious, tender parts of it. Especially the parts that you're the best at. And so he moves into Peter's boat. Take a look at what happens here. Um, Well, what doesn't happen here? Uh, I don't know a lot about boats, maybe a little bit less than I know about fishing, but this much I know from TV, where you can get a lot of important life lessons. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to get into a guy's boat unless you do what? Unless you say permission to board, captain, that's a thing. I don't know if it needs to come out that way, but you shouldn't just... You know, you shouldn't just go to a dock somewhere and start getting on people's boats. But every boat, of course, is Christ's boat. And so he enters in deeper into Peter's life. And so get the imagery. Peter's a fisherman. The boat is at the shore. It's not very far out. Jesus enters into the boat. Um, I wonder if Peter first knew it because there was a crowd there. It could have been possible that he just got in the boat and Peter didn't see what was going on when he was preoccupied with his nets until Jesus then invites Peter more deeply into, figuratively and soon literally, into his boat, into his world, into his service. And so what's happened now? I told you Jesus is out for total control of all of your life. Okay? So he's got Peter, who he's got plans for, 
just like he's got plans for you. He's got Peter cleaning nets, and he doesn't want Peter to clean nets. So he gets in Peter's boat, and then he says, Hey, Peter, come here. So Peter goes over there and goes, I need you to put this out a little bit, just a little, so I get some space and these people can see me and hear me better. And so Peter's like, who's going to say no to this guy, right? So Peter um, gets in the boat, pushes out, and what's happened? Well, he's taken over Peter's life. He's, he's taken a step into Peter's world. He's, he's moving in, right? Jesus did this to me. He, you know, he's kind of ninja-like. I, I thought that I had contained him and acknowledged him and asked for a little help from him, and the next thing you know, I'm a minister. I don't even know how that happened. I just wanted to, I just wanted to have a little helper. But now Peter is in the boat. Peter can't help but he's right next, not big boats. He's right next to Jesus. Got to listen to every single word he said. He's got to watch the crowd listen. Jesus is starting to reorient Peter's life. Give me a little help. The condescending kindness of Christ will hang around and then he'll ask us for help. It's just stunning. As he moves into your life, so tender not lording it over you, so tender, so kind, so patient, but also so persistent, so unapologetic and purposeful, purposeful. Now, it's going to take over before he, or I should say, um, before he takes over, he's going to press himself, follow the language of the text more deeply into Peter's life. At first, he said, let's just go out a little bit. So, you know, it's probably water you could be knee or waist deep in. And now he's going to say something significant to a fisherman in a very deep body of water. He says, let's go out into the bathos. Let's go out into the deep. Let's come with me. And Peter abides or accommodates him. What he's saying to Peter After hanging around and then moving in and starting to take over, he's saying to Peter, Peter, relinquish your center to me. The thing that is most precious to you, that you're best at, that that is yours more than anything else is yours, I want you to do with that what I say. Jesus, as it were, is casting his net over Peter. For months he's been at the shore and around the house. Then he mildly asks for help. And then he starts to take over. Now, this is um, what's happened in my own life, actually over and over again, because as soon as I think Jesus has gone as deep as he's going to go in me, what do, you, what do I find out? So I find that I'm still in like the shallow end of life with Christ. He's going to move out. And so, if the mark of Jesus just patiently living around you or you hanging around Jesus is to be preoccupied, um, the, the mark of Jesus moving in but you not giving up is to appease him. Jesus says, all right, let's uh, go out into the deep, Peter, and here's what's going to happen. I know I'm a, I know I'm a carpenter. And by the way, That word could mean carpenter. It could also just mean that he worked with his hands. It could be a manual laborer. 
said, I know this is not my thing, but I want you to go out there. I want you to go out there and we're going to let our nets down for a catch. Now, Jesus is um, done what in the business world and in the psychology world is called a transference of expertise. See, people that get really good at something, like Jesus was a good teacher, they think that commonly, if I'm good at my job, I'm good at whatever I want to do. This is why successful people are sometimes unbearable to be around. Jesus says, well, I'm a pretty good teacher, as you can see, so I'm going to apply my insights and skills to fishing. And Peter, there's no disrespect, by the way, in Peter's language. It's hard to pick that up out of the language of the text. But, but there is a reluctance in him. And in fact, he says uh, clearly, well, um, okay, Master, it's a very unique word, or not very unique, but less common word for master. That means kind of boss. It's not quite the word he'll use later when he says Lord, which is a pregnant word, a significant word in the New Testament, kurios. He's going to use that in a little bit. Right now he uses a word that means supervisor or or not master really, but kind of like a boss thing. And what does he say? He says, okay, Boss, um, here's what you need to know. And I'm going to translate this for you. Did this all night long. In Greek, that means I'm exhausted and my nets are not clean yet. And then he says, we caught nothing. And in Greek, that means you don't know what you're talking about. But people are still watching and you helped my mother-in-law and there is something going on with you. So I'm going to appease you, and I'm going to accommodate you, and fill in the blank. I'm going to put my boat out, I'm going to drop my net, I'm going to give a little bit of more money. You know, how do you appease Jesus? I'm, going to, I'm not going to watch the same kind of entertainment, you know, I'm, I'm going to guard my language. You know, what, what, are your, what are your ways in which you appease Jesus when he starts crowding in on you? Well, this is Peter's version of appeasement. We have limits to the people that are in our world. We've, we have, in ministry for 25 years, we've had like a, a flurry of, not a flurry, but a regular cycle of people that have lived in our home, sometimes for two years, sometimes for two months, sometimes for two weeks. It's just a thing that happens. We had one young man who was living there for two months, and uh, he made his own yogurt, which um, I didn't even, I thought you had to make yogurt at a factory, a yogurt factory. You know, but I was like, you know, you can get yogurt at Safeway. I would tell the guy. But he would make his own yogurt, and uh, he had his, you know, was very precise about it. And, it was, you know, I was fine with him making yogurt. It was kind of interesting to know that yogurt could be made, you know, so um, by non-professionals. And so he's making his yogurt, but one night at about 10.20, my wife and I were in bed reading, and our son came down the hallway. And he said, hey, so came in the room. He said, Bill, not his real name, Bill wants to know if he can adjust the temperature gauge on the refrigerator for his yogurt. Now, this is not my finest moment, but I cannot tell you how, how deeply that torqued me. I'm like, what? What? 
You don't go into someone's house as a guest and change the refrigerator setting. I mean, that's just, that's just over the line. That is over the line. I was so, I was so offended. In other words, I was so petty. You know, I was just like, I can't. Well, I just tell him, tell him no. Tell him no. My son's like, what? I go, no, he can't do that. He can't do that. <laughs> My poor son had to walk down the hallway and tell this yogurt maker, like, sorry, you know, evidently that's really super important to my dad. So, so no, you have to have substandard yogurt while you're here. And of course, I look over there and Sandy's looking at me like, wow, you are a jerk. And I am a jerk. And I tell her, I'm not trying to be a jerk, honey. It just comes naturally. So, so what's the point of that story? Jesus, um, the point of that story is that Jesus um, thinks he can do whatever he wants in your house with your life and put its settings in any way he pleases. And if you hang around with him long enough, if he, let me rephrase that, if he hangs around you long enough, and he moves in to you close enough, he will find that thing that is most yours of all the things and all the places and all the dreams and all the gifts and all the resources that is most yours and most importantly yours, he will change the setting on it. That's what he's going to do. Because that's what he does. Because he loves you. And he knows what the setting should be about entertainment, about money, about sexuality, about your vocation, about everything. About your children and your family and your relationship or your not relationship. He knows what the setting should be. And he's moving in and, and then he takes over. And that's the last thing that happens in this passage. Well, let's not let the compressed version, biblical historical narrative, one of its great arts is there's all short stories so it's very compressed and it's easy to read it faster than it happened but think about what goes on here peter puts the net down reluctantly he all of a sudden just a gajillion fish get caught in the net and he's trying to pull it up and it's so heavy the net is breaking which means the boat's tilting forward and get this only peter went into the boat right that means that the other guys were still at the shore that means they weren't in their boat and so when they're calling over to get the others, they gotta, they got to get up and move, right? They might still be cleaning their nets. they got to get up and move. they got to get in their boat. they got to push off the shore. they got to get to wherever Peter went. they got to come up alongside Peter. they got to throw their nets in, too. they got to work, and they got to fill their boats up. So this whole episode, this final, final um, scene in the story of Jesus taking over Peter's life where he lives around Peter, he moves in on Peter, and then he takes Peter over. This whole thing, scene took some season of time where Peter is allowed to come to terms with a reality that he had minimized and misunderstood and put in a box and now had to deal with. So remarkable what Jesus, or what Peter says. I'm going to try to draw it out here in a little bit but Peter says go away he tells Jesus to go away and then instead of making a comment about Jesus he makes a comment about himself 
Now, this is, this is actually a picture of why we don't want Jesus very close to our life. I mean, we do, right? You're at church, you're probably at least open to that, or at least thinking about that. But it's also why we really don't want him close to us. Peter, when Jesus gets in close on him, Peter says, get away from me, because I see myself now. It's interesting. For I'm a sinner. Get away from me, for I am a sinner. The closer Jesus gets, the more clearly you see him. The more clearly you will see yourself in his light. Let's take a look at this scene for a moment, because this is really important. I said earlier that you're not going to be broken till you're broken in your boat. So let's take a look at what finally got through Peter, and we'll draw a lesson from it. Think about this scene. Where is Peter? He's in his boat. We're told that he has done what? Fallen before Jesus. He's on his knees in his boat in front of his friends where Jesus is standing or sitting somewhere. What's in his boat? There are fish in his boat. There are so many fish in his boat that they're concerned that his boat will, be, will sink. So do you have the scene yet? There's fish flopping in his boat. There's the great fisherman, Peter, the, the manly man, Peter, on his knees, perhaps up to his waist or rib cage in fish, while Jesus stands in fish. Jesus, get away from me. Do you understand? Jesus has broken down every barrier, every partition, every bit of competency in Peter's life, and he is falling down in the midst of everything his life was about. How he provided for himself, how he identified himself, how he exercised all of his gifts, and he's come to terms that Jesus has been the master of it all, all along, every day, every catch, and not just his boat, and not just this lake, but every boat and every lake. And this is when he learns something about himself. Learns about his pride, about his blindness, about how casual he was, about how clueless he was about the significance and the magnificence of the one who's with him. Has been with him for all these months. He's been in his house. I've been eating with this man. I, w- I skim-listened this man. I thought I figured out this man. I thought he was maybe a little smarter than me, but pretty much just like me. And he's not. And now that I see who he is, I see who I am. John Calvin opened his famous work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, with this paragraph. All knowledge we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of self, And which comes first and which flows from the other is difficult to discern. If you get close to Jesus, you will find out about him and you will find out about yourself. And and you'll know why you tried to keep him at arm's length. Because he is out to rule everything about you. So, how does Jesus respond to this? Well, Jesus responds with the New Testament version of it's going to be okay. 
And this is the message for you. If you're, wherever you are, if Jesus is just around you, if he's uh, moving in on you and you can sense that, or if he's taken over, you, you know, if, if he's taken over your world and you can no longer contain him, then he says to you, it's going to be okay. Now, in, in the in Bible language, he says, peace, do not be afraid. Remember, that's the same word he's going to use at the resurrection over and over again. Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. So as soon as you realize the magnitude of the one who's knocking at your door, hanging around, busting in, as soon as you realize that and see yourself, he's going to preach the gospel to you. And he's going to say, no, I know everything's different. I know you just lost control of what you think, what you feel, how you spend your time, um, what you think you're good at, your whole orientation of everything. But it's going to be okay because it's going to be better because it's me. It's the Son of God. I came here to help you. I came here to heal you. It's a good thing when Jesus takes over your life. That's what I want you to know. I want you to know that Jesus is patient and he'll continue hanging around you for at least a little while longer. That he's moving in on you. And he's going to change the setting on your refrigerator. And if he really loves you, it's going to take over your life. He wants to take over your life. He deserves to take over your life. In the end, he will take over your life. So don't be afraid. Just let him have his way in your boat, whatever your boat is. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercy. I ask you to bless and keep us, Jesus. I still, my boat, my work boat is, is ministry, and I still try to keep it to myself. Have mercy on me and us. Lord God, help us, we pray. Celebrate, welcome, submit to your Son. Amen. Let me see where we go next. I'm the new guy here.